are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. One of the most exciting truths that I got hold of after I was saved was the truth of the second coming of Christ. I was raised in a church that did not believe in the second coming. My pastor said publicly the Lord was not coming again. I was ordained by an association of preachers that did not believe that Christ was actually, literally, physically, bodily coming again. They would lift out of John chapter 19, the sixth cross utterance, it is finished. And they would say, when he said it's finished, it's finished, he won't be back. That was it. And so, of course, being taught that way, I did not believe for a while that Christ was coming again. I had a preacher friend who believed exactly like I did. And when he got a hold of the truth of the second coming of Christ, he preached on it a year in his church. And when he discovered that God was not through the nation of Israel, he got so excited about it. He bought him two Schofield Bibles, had one under each arm, got rid of his Thompson chain reference and just preached second coming and the restoration of the nation of Israel and Jesus reigning on David's throne until... You thought that's all he'd ever known in his whole life. By the way, he must have been above 60 years old when he got a hold of that truth. It was an exciting time for me when I saw him get excited about the second coming. Now, Jesus is going to come again. There is no doubt about it. If I only had John chapter 14, I'd believe he was coming again. Because in John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, my friends, Jesus Christ is a gentleman. And he would not make a false statement. Neither would he make a statement that he could not live up to. You and I sometimes make promises with good intentions and never fulfill the promises because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. But when Jesus Christ makes a promise, he will fulfill it because he is not caught by surprise. He knows what will happen tomorrow. And he knows that he knows he's coming again. There are 20 times as many references in the second, to the second coming of Christ in the Old Testament as they are to his first coming. For every verse in the Old Testament says Christ is coming the first time to be born as a babe. There are 20 passages that talk about Jesus coming back a second time, not as a baby, but as a king to reign on a throne, to establish a worldwide government, and to bring about a worldwide peace. No honest Bible student can read the Old Testament and say, I do not believe Christ is coming again, without saying, I do not believe the Bible. You come to the New Testament, and while Paul refers to baptism only 13 times, he makes over 50 references to the second coming of Christ. And in nearly every New Testament book, there's a reference to the second coming. For instance... The Bible said in Jude, verse 14, And Enoch, the seventh man from Adam, prophesied of these things, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. The seventh man from Adam said Jesus was coming with ten thousands of his saints. The word ten thousand in the Bible is an expression. It doesn't literally mean ten thousand because there are more than ten thousand saints. But it's like us saying a whole car load. Or I wouldn't give you a dime for a barrel full. You don't actually mean a barrel full. You're just using that to speak of a good number or a whole car load. You don't mean a freight car load of something. You just mean a, a large amount of a particular thing. you find that expression 10,000 used several times. Paul said, I'd rather speak 
one word of un- five words of understanding than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Ten thousands of his saints, the Bible speaks of. He just means many of his saints. James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, under the coming of the Lord. Titus 2, 13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, Our conversation, our citizenship, is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior who shall change this vile body and fashion it like unto his own glorious body. Hebrews 9.28 said, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to them that look for him shall he appear, the second time without sin unto salvation. If I took time to quote all the verses that say Christ is coming again, there is a chance that you'd be bored in the next 30 minutes because I'd never run out of verses. When Jesus stood on the Mount of Ascension, his disciples stood there and watched him as he ascended out of their sight. They were amazed, their mouths opened, and they stood gazing. And Acts 1, verse 10 and 11 said, Two men stood by in white apparel, which said, You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing into heaven? This same Jesus that you see taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go. Just like you saw him ascend out of your sight, same Jesus that left this mountain a minute ago and ascended out of your sight, same Jesus shall so come in like manner. He's coming back just like you saw him go. He ascended visibly and physically out of their sight while they watched. And the angels, two of them, said... He's going to come back just like he went away. He's coming back visibly, physically, in person, and I might say back to the same spot from whence he left. Zechariah 14 and 4 said, In that day shall his feet stand up on the Mount of Olives. You know where the Mount of Olives is? That's over in the Holy Land. No question about where that's at, so that's where he's coming back to. It shall cleave in the middle. I'm told, as a matter of fact, I have a National Geographic magazine that shows an artist's drawing of the earth, and it shows a crack that is illustrated by the artist taking a knife and cutting it through the, the world globe, and the crack goes right up through one of the oceans and goes right out through the Holy Land and right through the Mount of Olives. And that's rather interesting because the artist that drew that and uh, the folks who did the investigating and said there is a crack in the earth and it's becoming larger and larger had never read Zechariah 14 and 4. But you can always depend on everything to get in line with the Bible sooner or later. I hear people say once in a while, why don't we rewrite the Bible in order to bring it up to date with science books today? Well, I'd have you know that science books are rewritten every few years. You don't have a science book in any school in the world today that was used ten years ago. They've all are obsolete now. They got a new batch. Because a lot of things that were scientifically correct ten years ago, they have suddenly discovered are not scientifically correct tonight. But the Bible is always scientifically correct. Christ is coming again. I wish I had time tonight to share with you the order of coming events. Start now and I just preach on and 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 on. And and show you exactly what's going to happen and, and what will transpire and so on, but I don't have time. I'm going to give you a bird's eye view and come back to the passage we opened our Bible up to. And just give you a very simple lesson, but stay with me. The next thing on God's prophetic calendar is what we call the rapture of the church. Now, the word rapture is not a Bible word. You can search if you'd like, but you won't find the word rapture in the Bible. But though it's not a Bible word, it's a good word because it describes what will happen when Christ comes for his saints. The word rapture means to transport from one place to another swiftly. It means to be filled with excessive joy. We used to sing when I was a country boy in a country church, and with what rapture sweet my weary heart would beat if I could hear my mother pray again. And I used to wonder what it meant. It meant how joyful my heart would be. With what rapture sweet my weary heart would be. What joy I'd have in my heart if I could hear Mother pray again. 
And the word rapture means to be filled with joy. It means to transport swiftly from one place to another. And that's what will happen when Christ comes for his own. We call that the rapture. So if you keep that word in mind and think of Christ coming for his own as the rapture, it will help you to understand my preaching. That's the next thing on docket. Christ said, if I go away, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also. That's described here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 and following. And let's look at it together. Paul said, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that is, the dead. I do not know, but I have been told that the people at Thessalonica, when they would bury their dead, they would write on the tombstone two words, no hope. They did not know that they'd ever see their loved ones again. They wrote, no hope, no hope. And Paul, in an effort to comfort them, said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those which are asleep, that's the dead. The body is asleep, not the soul and spirit, it's with Christ. The body is asleep. That you saw are not even as others which have no hope. You are writing on the tombstone, no hope. You don't think you'll ever see your loved ones again. So you're writing, no hope, no hope. And you're very sorrowful when your loved ones die. But, he said, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the dead. So that you saw are not as others which have no hope. And then he goes on to indicate we have a hope. And verse 14, he said, for if we believe, the word if literally means since, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, there was no question in Paul's mind about the resurrection. Read 1 Corinthians and find out for yourself. If we believe, it's like we say, is ice on the road and it's a bad winter day, and, and I, I say to uh, one of the daughters, maybe you ought not to go out. They say, but Daddy, it's important that I go, I've got to check on so-and-so. Well, I say, if you're going, be careful. I mean, since you're going, be careful. And that's what Paul says here. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Christ will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, and I like these next four words, by the word of the Lord. This is not something some preacher got up. This is said by the word of the Lord. This we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. Wait a minute, Paul, is Christ coming? Yes, sir, read, Jesus Christ is coming. And I'm going to be alive when he comes. We which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord. Paul actually thought he'd be living when Christ came. We which are alive, those he's writing to and himself, we which are alive, he thought Christ may come at any moment back then. We which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. The word prevent literally means precede. We who are alive, Paul said, when Jesus comes, we will not precede those who are dead, those who are asleep. And then he tells what will happen. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Well, what does that mean? That means he's going to descend with a shout. And with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ. And the line, those two words, in Christ. Not all the dead. Not all the dead. The dead in Christ. Those who trusted Christ as Savior and died before Jesus came. Believers, Christians. The dead in Christ, keep following, shall rise first. The Lord's going to come from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. And Paul said, the first thing that will happen is the dead in Christ will be raised. Believe it or not, accepted or rejected, there's going to be a literal, physical resurrection of all the saved dead. By the way, my old preacher used to say there's not going to be a resurrection. Nothing's going to come out of that grave. But the Bible said in John 5, 28 and 29, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming when all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Two resurrections, a resurrection to life and a resurrection to damnation. 
This is the resurrection to life. This is the resurrection of the dead in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Here's what will happen. If Jesus suddenly came, you'd hear the shout. You'd hear the voice of the archangel. You'd hear the trumpet of God. And the next thing would happen to be every Christian who has died and gone on to be with Christ, every Christian's body would come out of the grave no matter where it is. And that's a shocking thing. Because there's a lot of saved dead people. Take that any way you want to. It applies both ways. And their dust is everywhere. I know a shopping center that's built on top of a graveyard. I don't know where they know it or not, but I know it. I know a service station that's built on top of a graveyard. I used to play when I was a boy. I used to try to scare myself by walking through the old graveyard. Now, if the trumpet sounded and there happened to be some saved people in that cemetery, there's going to be a disruption at the service station. And when a resurrected saint goes through the third floor of the Sears department store, and some old sister's over there for the white sale, it's going to be an exciting time. She'll say, honey, did you see that? What was that one up there? The dead in Christ shall rise first. I don't have any doubt about it. The dust of saints are all around this place. If the trumpet sound, all the dead... In Christ, that have died since Jesus left here, all the dead in Christ, they'd be coming up from everywhere. Everywhere, every cemetery. And in places where there was no cemetery, the dust of saints would be coming together. One of my men wrote a poem about that. I wish I could remember it. Some, I don't remember, but some about the molecules and atoms that compose my frame shall quickly come together when he calls my name or something like that. But he had the idea. Saints will be coming from everywhere. Look at it. The dead in Christ shall rise first. If Christ came now, the first thing that happened, all the saved dead coming out of the cemeteries with a resurrection body. You say, a body? A body. When I was a little boy, I thought when I got to heaven, I'd be like Casper the Friendly Ghost. I had this white vapor-like cloud. Now I had this motor scooter-like cloud where I could scoot around it, and I'd be given a golden harp when I went in the gate of heaven to give me this little motor scooter cloud and this golden harp. And I actually thought that forever and ever and ever I'd scoot around on this cloud playing this golden harp. And really, I, I lost interest in heaven. Man, I like harp music, but day and night forever. <laughs> and floating around on a cloud forever, man, it's boring. And then I changed from the cloud idea to an angel idea. I saw pictures of little babies on the wall that somebody painted with little wings and little halos. And I thought, well, that's it. But I'd fill with a hawklet with wings and a halo on my head. And all the bodies are coming out of the grave. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming when all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. The same one you put in the graves coming out of it. Or you say, that's new doctrine. No, it's not, buddy. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job is so old that scholars can't agree as to when it was written. And in Job 19.25, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives. And in the last days, his feet shall stand upon this earth. And though the skin worms devour my body, yet in my flesh, Shall I see God? And my eyes shall behold him for myself and not another. Joe, what do you mean? I mean if I die and they bury me and the maggots eat my body. That body's coming out of that grave flesh. And the eyes that the maggots eat out are coming back and I'm going to see God for myself and not another. You say, I don't believe that. Don't care. Still in the Bible. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, who shall change this vile body and fashion it like unto his own glorious or glorified body. 
Do you believe that? The Bible said, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven from which we look for the Savior. He'll change this vile body and fashion it like unto his own glorious body. Give you another one. 1 John 3, 2. Now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. What do you say? We know. We know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. Turn to Luke 24 and hold the first Thessalonian passage, please. Matthew, Mark, Luke chapter 24. I think it's what I'm looking for. And drop down to about verse 36. And this is after the resurrection of Jesus. And in verse 36 of Luke 24, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. Just all of a sudden, in his resurrection body, this is after his resurrection, he appears in the midst of his disciples. And said unto them, Peace be unto you. And they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. There he stood. Wait a minute, one said. They crucified him. They buried him in a grave. This cannot be Jesus. It's a ghost. It's a famine. It's a spirit. And they were afraid, the Bible says. Look at the next verse. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Jesus in his resurrection body. And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet that it is I myself. Who came out of the grave? Jesus himself. Look at the scars of the nail prints in my hand and look at the wounds in my feet. It is me, the same one that was hanging on that cross the other day. It is I myself. It's me, Jesus. Handle me and see. For a spirit, they thought he was a spirit. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. That wasn't Casper, the friendly ghost. That's a body of flesh and bone. That's the same Jesus that had walked on the water. That's the same Jesus that had unstopped the deaf ears. That was the same Jesus that had raised the dead. That was the same Jesus that had taken his hands and broke the bread and the fishes and multiplied it and fed the thousands. Handle me and see, for a spirit or a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones like you see me have. You mean in my resurrection body I have flesh and bones? Exactly. You'll be made like he was in his glorified body, according to Philippians 3, 20 and 21. And he had flesh and bones to keep reading. And this answers a question often asked me. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they believed not for joy and wondered, he said to them, Have you any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb, and he took it and did eat it before them. Folks say in our resurrection body, can we eat? There's your answer. He ate fish and honeycomb. Now, let's be honest. It wouldn't be heaven if we couldn't eat a little. I mean, that's one of our favorite pastimes. Who wants to go where you can't eat? And why would he have a tree in heaven that has 12 minor fruit on it and bears its fruit every month of the year if you couldn't eat it? You can eat, but you won't have to eat to stay alive. You see, you want to. In his resurrection body, he had flesh and bones. He wasn't a spirit. And he ate raw fish and honeycomb in his resurrection body. That's not all, friend. That resurrection body came through a wall without making a hole. See, I don't get that. You'll get it if you hang around long enough. Watch it. Someday, if Jesus does come, you may live to see science. Discover how to go through a wall without making a hole. And you say, well, that was in the Bible a long time ago. I've lived to see a lot of things happen that was in the Bible before they ever happened. When Revelation 11 talked about the whole world viewing the bodies of two men laying in the streets of Jerusalem, that was an impossibility when I was a boy. 
But since the invention of television and Telstar, it is now not an impossibility. I've lived to see that passage become possible. But it was impossible when I was a boy. In your resurrection body, you don't even have to open the door. You just go through the wall. Be like him or not. Come on, don't go to sleep on me. They appeared, the doors were closed, no windows. Bang! He disappeared there. I don't know where he was, but he appeared. But all of a sudden, he's right there. You'll have a body made like Jesus' body and your resurrection. Look at Romans 8, 11. The Bible said, If the Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, and that word quicken means to make alive, shall also quicken your mortal body. That's Romans 8, 11. You ever cut your finger to the quick? And you say, oh, I cut it to the quick. You don't mean you cut it where it's fast. You mean you cut it where it's alive, where you felt it. And when he says... If the Spirit of God that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body. It means to make alive your mortal body. The Holy Spirit will make you alive in the resurrection. According to Romans 8, 11. Today, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Leviticus 17, 11 says the life of the flesh is in the blood. But then the life of the flesh won't be in the blood. Why? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, real quickly. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 15. Page 1227. The old Scorpio Bible. And get this and underline it. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Underline it. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What did it say in Luke 24 when Jesus appeared to him? He said, handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. Didn't make any mention of blood. Because when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood for our redemption. He had a body of flesh and bone and no blood. And the Bible said a flesh and blood combination cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus had a body of flesh and bone. I just read it a minute ago, Luke 24. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. The Bible says we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. If I understand Romans 8, 11 right, if I understand 1 Corinthians 15, 50 right, flesh and blood combination can't get to heaven. But if I understand Romans 8, 11 right, you won't be made alive by blood. You're made alive with the Holy Spirit. And since all disease travels in the bloodstream, it means you never can get sick again. And since the Holy Spirit never dies, it means you can't ever die again. Amen? Back to somewhere. First Thessalonians, chapter 4. Where were we? See if I can find it again. I think I might have lost it. Give you time to find it. 1269. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate that. What kind of Bible you got? You ain't got the wrong Bible, have you? Okay, good. Thank you. Appreciate it. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven, verse 16... With a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Every Christian that's died and gone to heaven, his body will be resurrected. It'll be changed and made a body exactly like Christ's body. And Christ had a body of flesh and bones and no blood. Made alive by the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11. And in that body he ate fish and honeycomb. And in that body he appeared and disappeared and went through walls. And in that body, Jesus Christ is going to make a long trip in a short time. The Bible says, The lightning shining from the east to the west, so shall the coming of the Son of Man. If you study the Bible, you'll find there's three heavens. There's the atmospheric heavens where the birds fly. There's a starry and planetary heavens where the stars are. And there's a third heaven, a heaven of heavens, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, 3, and 4, the paradise of God, where Paul was caught up to. And if you study Isaiah 14, you'll find the third heaven, the paradise of God, is beyond the highest star because Isaiah 14, verse 12, 
said that Lucifer, who became Satan, setting his heart out to exalt my throne above God's throne, I'll ascend beyond, above the crowd, I'll ascend beyond the highest star. I have no reason not to believe that that star is a little star. And I do know the third heaven somewhere out beyond the starry of planetary heaven. And the highest star that man's been able to locate from this earth, or it was the last time I heard a thing about it, was 500 million light years away. Light travels 186,000 miles a second, which means going 186,000 miles a second, it would take 500 million years to get to the furthest star. And beyond the furthest star is where God is. And Jesus is seated on the right hand of the Father in heaven, Revelation 3.21. If Jesus left heaven now and traveled 186,000 miles a second, it would take him 500 million years to get here once he reached the furthest star, and I don't know how far beyond the furthest star he is. That's more than my peanut brain can get a hold of. But just forget it. Because it ain't going to take no 500 million years. Because when he leaves, he'll be going faster than 186,000 miles a second. When he leaves heaven, one minute, he's here. The Bible says we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The Greek word moment comes from where we get our word Adam from, A-T-O-M, and it means a space of time so small it can't be divided again. Faster than the batting of an eye. The twinkling of an eye. He's going to travel that far that quick. And when I see him, I'll be like him. Which means I can travel that fast. What do you think God made all those planets out there for? You think he sat down one day and didn't have anything to do? Like an old man whittling on the front porch? Got the plan in, in the mud? But I think I'll make Saturn. Mars. Jupiter. And I'll let that be the solar system. Throw the earth out there. Then he threw out about a billion more stars that I'll let that be a galaxy. And the next day they didn't have anything to do, so he made another galaxy. There are billions and billions of galaxies, and our galaxy is so large that it would take light a hundred thousand years to travel from one side of our galaxy to the other. And our galaxy is like a speck of sand on a seashore of galaxies. And God's gonna Jesus is gonna come through all those galaxies. And we're talking about going to the moon. That's like an ant crawling out of a hole in my front yard. And going out to the mailbox and thinks he's been somewhere. <laughs> he comes back and says, Woo, I made a trip. That's when those Russians went up and come back and said, We've been out there, we didn't see God. <laughs> That's like an ant crawling out to my mailbox and come back and said, I didn't, I didn't see Alabama. No, buddy, you won't ever see it. You can't get out there far enough to see Alabama. Unless I put you in the trunk of my car and take you over to Alabama. There's a vast space out there. And Jesus is on the right hand of the Father, way out beyond the last galaxy. And when he comes, he'll be here. I don't know what you think about it. But I don't think God wants us to float around on a cloud the rest of our life with a golden harp playing Amazing Grace. Now, I like Amazing Grace, and I want to sing it a lot. And I want to sing when I get to heaven. But I don't want to spend forever floating around playing his heart saying amazing grace. Now, if I get a body like Jesus' body and travel fast as Jesus' body travels, that means I can be standing on Hallelujah Boulevard. You say, how you know there's one up there? Well, if there's not one, I'm going to name one Hallelujah Boulevard when I get there. But I'll be standing on the golden street and the holy city described in Revelation 21 and 22. And I can say to John Reynolds, John, you and Mike stand here a minute. I'm going to go down and make a tour of the world, and I'll be back in a minute. And I could tour this whole world in a minute, or less, and take in all the sites, Grand Canyon, Niagara Falls, Europe and Asia, all the countries of this whole globe, I could take it in less than a minute and be back staying on Hallelujah Boulevard and have seen everything and missed nothing. If I can travel 500 million light years before you can snap your finger, it wouldn't take me long to go around this globe 25,000 miles. Talk to me. You say, I don't believe all that stuff. I don't care. If you live to the rest, if you die, 
and, and you're resurrected, you'll believe it then if you're a Christian. And while I'm scooting around, I said, told you, told you. <laughs> well, I'll scoot out yonder into another galaxy and check that solar system and those planets and scoot out to another galaxy, i got an eternity to do something. And our resurrection body will be like Jesus. We can travel fast as Jesus travels, which means we can travel at the speed of thought. We can think about it and be there. And not only that, buddy, when you get glorified ears and eyes and voice, your ears don't pick up all the sound. You ask an ear doctor about how many vibrations your ear picks up and how many it doesn't pick up. And the sound that it picks up compared to those it doesn't pick up are very small. Mark Cameron bought a dog whistle, came through the mail. He came on one day and said to Mary, is my, did my dog whistle come? She said, yeah, it came. But I threw it away. He said, why? She said, it was no good. She said, I blew it and blew it and blew it. It didn't make a sound, she said, and so I threw it away. But what Mary didn't know, it was a dog whistle. Only dogs could hear it because their ears are tuned a little different than a human ear. They hear a whistle that your ear won't hear. And when you get your glorified ears, you're going to pick up sounds you didn't know were out there. Some well, of you don't hear much here at all. <laughs> I hope you get glorified here. And we'll have a body like his body, kept alive by the Holy Spirit, never get sick, never die, move as fast as he moves, go through walls I want to, don't have to, but don't want to. You say, won't we have a home? Yeah, but I don't have time to tell you about it. Described in Revelation 21, 22, it's a city 1,500 miles square. You can add up the cubits for yourself. 1,500 miles straight up, 1,500 miles across this way, 1,500 miles that way. If it came and sat down in the United States of America, it would cover half of it. It's called the Holy City, New Jerusalem. That'll be our home. But the Bible said the gates are not shut at all by day or by night. If you shut the gates and locked you in, it wouldn't be a home, it'd be a jail. You don't have to stay there. You can go in and out of it. Go home when you want to. And I wish I had time to preach about that home, that Holy City, New Jerusalem. Because it's fantastic. But read it when you get home. Revelation 21, 22 will describe it. It's fantastic. But keep reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The dead in Christ shall rise first. If Christ were to come now, you hear the shout, you hear the voice of the archangel, you hear the trump of God, and bang! Every saved person in the grave come out. Resurrected, glorified body like him. Perfect body. 2020 vision. Leap like a reindeer. See like an eagle. Jump like a jackrabbit. My grandma died when she was 99 years old. Mother, how old would she be? She resurrected 99. But she'll look like the youngest 99-year-old grandma you ever seen. She can do anything you can do at 16. Because in eternity, you don't have time, and time's what brings the wrinkles. You won't be in time, buddy. You'll be in eternity. My grandma, just, I don't know her. No, she won't have the old false teeth. She won't need her glasses. She didn't need them anyway. She'd thread a needle without her glasses when she was 99 years old. That's one reason I'm planning on staying around a while. If my grandma stayed around that long, the Lord sure better let me stay this long because I preached and grandma didn't preach. All she could do is thread a needle. Verse 17. After the trumpet sounds and the and the shout comes, and the voice of the archangel, and the dead in Christ are raised. Verse 17 says, Then we, which are alive and remain, that is, if Christ came tonight, the resurrected saints go up. All of us who are saved and are alive and remain, are here, remain till Christ comes. We, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them. With who? With them who just been resurrected. All the resurrected saints get up. About that time, we which are alive men shall be caught up together with them. Here goes Mama out of the graveyard and Grandma and my friend. Resurrected, going up to meet the Lord. And all of a sudden, I'm caught up together with them. Keep reading it. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Doesn't mean we're going to ride on a cloud. We'll be caught up in clouds. Dr. Kenneth, we said the word this is actually not here in the original. I'm not sure because I don't know Greek that way. But we shall be caught up in clouds, which means great clouds of believers. Behold, he cometh with clouds, the Bible says, and every eye shall see him, Revelation 1, 7. 
Seeing we're compassionate about such a great a cloud of witnesses. Hebrews chapter 12. We shall be caught up in clouds, great clouds of believers. We which are alive and remain shall be caught up with them in clouds. From Atlanta, a great cloud of believers. You ever seen birds migrating? I guess that's what you say. What they what, what to do, migrate? You're bird brain, you ought to know. <laughs> See birds migrating. Certain times of the year, they come across here, and I, I can't believe it. I look out the window, and it looks like millions of birds. And you can hear them. It reminds you of that Hitchcock bird movie. Somebody saw that. I heard the, Ooh. And I mean, they're just everywhere. They cover the cloud. And it looks like, and you, it just gets dark. They, they hinder the sun from shining. And I look out and say, look at that cloud of birds, a great cloud of birds. We should be caught up in clouds after the saints are resurrected. Then we which are alive in them should be caught up together with them in clouds. Get the rest of it. To meet the Lord in the air. Now when Christ comes here, he's not coming back to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. Here he's coming to the air. Not coming. He didn't say anything about his feet coming to the Mount of Olives. We're going to meet him in the air. This is when Christ comes for his own. I'm told there are two Greek words for air. This one's A-E-R. According to Strong's Concordance, it means the lower denser atmosphere. If you were to take a Greek upon Mount Olympus and ask him, where is the air? And use the same Greek word Paul used, he'd point down. Which means the A-E-R they use here is somewhere less than 6,403 feet up there. So that gives you some ideas of how close Jesus comes into the earth. If he comes to the air and uses the same Greek word that Paul uses here, it means the Lord has to come down about within about 6,000 feet somewhere down here. And that's interesting that he'd meet us in the air because he said the devil is a prince of the power of the air and he uses the same word. The devil's not in hell, nor his cohorts. They're in the atmosphere above you. In Daniel 10, when Daniel prayed, an angel came with an answer after 21 days and told Daniel that he left 21 days ago, but a certain prince hindered him. And God dispatched another angel and helped that angel to get through to bring the answer to Daniel. Go and read tonight in Daniel chapter 10. He hindered him right up here in the lower denser atmosphere. And it's rather unusual that God will catch us up to meet him in the air. He's not going to come on the other side of the devil's territory and depend on us to get through there by ourselves. He's going to come down in the devil's territory, in the air, where Satan is a prince of the power of the air. That's in Ephesians 2, if you don't believe it. Look at it. Somebody look like I didn't believe it. Come down to the air, in the devil's territory, and catch us up to meet him there, as if to push the devil and all the fallen angels back and the seducing spirits of the latter days and just push them back and make a clearing and say, come on through, boys, and make an opening. And we'll meet the Lord in the air and keep reading it. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. From that moment on, wherever Jesus goes, we go. And after that, he still hasn't fulfilled his promise to David. He promised David he'd reign on his throne. He's come back to David's throne, so we're coming back with him. Revelation 3.21 said, He that overcometh will I grant to set with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down my father on his throne. We'll ever be with the Lord. That's the next thing to happen. Now, that's called the rapture of the church. It's the catching out of Christians. That's the next thing to happen. And that's only one little thing in the order of future events. But that's the next thing. And may I tell you, and I'm, I'm not through, but I want to quit. May I tell you that nothing else has to happen for this to happen. Jesus said, Be ye therefore ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Nothing has to happen before this happens. This could happen today. According to this same passage I just read, Paul thought it was going to happen in his lifetime and said, We which are alive and remain. He thought he'd be living. That could happen today. Are there signs? I think there are signs that precede the revelation of Christ. I think there are signs that precede Christ coming back with his own to take his place on David's throne and rule the nation with a rod of iron. But there are no signs that precede Christ coming for his own. Because if we knew when he was coming, 
we wouldn't be as good a Christian as we ought to be. But if we all believe that he may come at any minute, at any time, it'll make us live on the tiptoes of expectancy. And that's what he meant for us to do. And that's why Paul thought he was coming in his lifetime. There's no verse in the Bible that says, watch for signs. Hebrews 9.28 says, and unto them that look for him, not signs, for him. Shut up here. Titus 2.13 says, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, not signs. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says, Our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. Now look at the signs, looking for the Savior. Who shall change this vile body and fashion it like unto his own voice body. I don't have time to talk about the signs that precede the revelation. I'm telling you there are no signs that precede the rapture. And Christ could come before I finish this sermon. Some of you think he will, don't you? Well, he could. Before I finish this sermon. You probably will, because I'm not going to finish it. I never finish sermons anymore. I just preach a while and quit. When you look like you're about to go to sleep, I quit. That is, when some of you, some of you sleep all the time anyway, I don't pay attention to you. I know you trust me. You wouldn't sleep if you didn't trust me. Those that stay awake and watch me, I worry about it. But anyway, it could be in the next few minutes. Bang! The Lord could come. Way would go. No signs preceding it. It happened in the next few minutes. Let me see if I can wrap it up and make it some kind of application to you. There are two kinds of people in the world right now. Saved and lost. Saved and lost. If Christ comes, the dead in Christ will be raised and the saved will go with him. The lost will be left behind. I don't have time to give you scripture verses. I wish I had hours. I don't. Luke 17 will tell you. One should be taken, the other left, and so on. Lost to be left, saved to be gone. If Jesus came, bang. Only those who've trusted Jesus would go with him. The lost would be left. Now, wait just a minute. Listen. After he comes and the dead in Christ are resurrected and the saved are gone with him, only the lost will be left behind. But the lost left behind will be divided into two groups. Those who have heard the gospel and had an opportunity to be saved and those who have not heard the gospel and had an opportunity to be saved. And my understanding of the Bible from Second Thessalonians chapter 2 is that if a man has heard the gospel before the rapture and has an opportunity to be saved, that once Christ comes for his own, that that man could not be saved after the rapture. I'll give you the verses. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. The mystery of iniquity doth already work on the he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the brightness of the coming, and so on. And he goes on to say that those who had pleasure in unrighteousness and would not receive the truth that God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned which had pleasure in unrighteousness and who would not receive the truth. They had heard the truth but wouldn't accept it and had pleasure in unrighteousness. Therefore, God said he'll send them a strong delusion that they might be damned. That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, going into the chapter. Everybody gets saved after the rapture. If you'd been coming to church here and heard me preach and you'd heard me preach this sermon and the trumpet sound, the saints are gone, as soon as the Antichrist came on the scene, you'd get saved immediately, man. You wouldn't wait. You'd say, the preacher was right. They're all gone. The Christians are gone. I'd get saved. If you could. The lost that are left behind would be, left, would be divided into two groups. Those who heard the gospel and those who have not. Those who had never heard the gospel, had not had an opportunity to be saved, could be saved during the tribulation period. It cost them an awful lot. They'd suffer an awful lot, according to the book of Revelation. But those who had heard the gospel and rejected the truth and had pleasure in unrighteousness would be sent a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they might all be damned. So it's dangerous to reject Christ. May I say this? Be ye therefore ready, for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. If you're not a Christian, for God's sake, trust Christ tonight. Tonight. And if you are a Christian, let me say this. First John 2.28 Now little children abide in him, so that when he shall appear, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. There's many Christians that if Jesus were to come tonight, as I've described in 1 Thessalonians 4, and the dead were resurrected, and all of a sudden we Christians were caught up to meet the Lord in the air, there are many of us who would face God with a red face and be ashamed and lose confidence because we did not abide in Christ, abide in Him, which means stay in a position so that Christ's life can flow out through you and manifest itself through you. That's what abiding means. Study the abiding of the branch. And the parable of the, of the story of the vine and the branches in John 15. The abiding branch is the branch through which the life of the vine manifests itself in fruit. 
And to abide in Christ means to keep your life open, free of all obstructions, and let Christ live out through you, stay surrendered to Christ. If not, when he appears, you will be ashamed if you don't abide in him, you're not the right kind of Christian. Abide in him, so when he appears, you may not lose confidence and be ashamed before he made his coming. Suppose he'd have come. When Samson was disobeying God, Samson would have been ashamed. Suppose he'd have come and Peter was cursing, Peter would have been ashamed. Suppose he'd come after Noah had gotten drunk and was naked, Noah would be ashamed. If he'd come sometimes in your lives, you would have been ashamed. If he came tonight, would you be ashamed? If so, if I were you, the thing I'd be ashamed of, I'd confess it as a sin, ask God to forgive me. And say, just in case you come tonight, Lord, I want the slate clean when the trumpet sounds. I want to meet you with confidence. You could come tonight. Robert Mary McShane said, and the audience will come, Robert Mary McShane said, he visited five preacher friends once. And he said to one, you think Jesus Christ will come today? And his friend said, I think not. He said to the other, do you think Jesus Christ will come today? And his friend said, I think not. He said to the other, do you think Jesus Christ will come today? And the other said, I think not. He said to the fourth, do you think Jesus Christ will come today? He said, I think not. He said to the fifth, do you think Christ will come today? He said, I think not. And Robert Mary McChain opened the Bible to Matthew 24, 44 and read without comment, be ye therefore ready. For in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh and walketh out of the room. And when he's coming, when you don't think he's coming, when you don't think he's coming, but he's coming. I'm so happy about it, I could throw my hat over the windmill and shout, Hallelujah, he's coming. I like to have a preaching marathon sometimes and just preach till I got tired to get a drink of water and come back and preach now in the judgment seat and that's where we're going to go when we meet him and then preach through the tribulation period and then preach the marriage of the Lamb, the second coming, the millennial reign, the new heaven, the new earth. I like to preach the whole thing right on out to eternity and cap it off by having the trumpet sound at the end of it. But he's coming, buddy. Believe it or not, he's coming. It could be in the morning. Are you ready? If not, you get ready. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.